Welcome to The Screeners, Episode 3. This week, we chat about the impact that low-priced cinema cameras, such as the Blackmagic Cinema Camera, are having on the film industry. We mention some projects we kick-started and then throw some props toward Veronica Mars and Jeff Kanata. Chris blows a gasket as we explore the trend of microtransactions in gaming, and mental disorders are in abundance during our discussion of the current books on our shelves and our screens. It's a double feature for our main event when we follow the yellow brick road to a Vegas magician showdown during our reviews of Oz the Great and Powerful and the incredible Burt Wonderstone. And finally, some of our favorite movies go toe-to-toe in an epic clickchart.com battle for the Screeners Podcast title, Best of All Time. Let's go. From the big screen to the small screen and everything in between, this is the Screeners Podcast, where all media is appreciated, but none is safe. Hey guys, welcome to episode number three of the Screeners Podcast. We have a lot of exciting topics coming up for you today. Just wanted to remind you to visit us at ScreenersPodcast.com. If you look at the top of the website there, you can click on the subscribe button. That will take you to iTunes and you can subscribe to our podcast. Also, don't forget to like us on Facebook. So we're going to get right into it with Jump Cut. Jump Cut. Jump Cut. Cut. Jump Cuts is our lightning round. We each have a question for the other three. We have about a minute to answer. Number one. I read recently that the Blackmagic Cinema Camera, um, which is a movie camera about the size of you know a normal DSLR, was recently used to shoot a feature film. My question is, what do you think about this new trend where inexpensive cameras are being used to shoot full-length feature films that are getting play at film festivals and stuff like that. Chris? I, I, I think it's great. Uh, as a filmmaker myself, I like the idea that more people can get their hands on the equipment that will give them the ability to create high-quality stuff. Now, there's always this argument that is being made that we're going to get more junk because of this, and that might be true, but we're also going to find the gems, and the junks just kind of kind of fall away and not get any play anyway. So I think the, the more high quality we can get and the more hands, the better stuff we're going to find. And with a di- digital distribution model that is available now where anyone can become their own distributor and publisher, there's a lot of options out there for young or just not even necessarily young, just filmmakers who have never been able to kind of get inside the studio system. So I think it's fantastic. You've got the DSLR movement. You've got the Black Magic, which is, as looking at B&H right now, you're just under three grand for the body. Then you can, you know, obviously clip on the lenses that you want. And you've also got the red and all these other options that are just fantastic for an independent filmmaker. I think it's a great thing. I can't wait to see what we're doing in five years. Rock on. I'm excited. Melody, what do you think? Yeah, I think it's great too. I mean, I don't think that it's going to like injure the industry in any way. I, I do agree certainly that there will be more subpar content that comes out as as things continue to get cheaper. But I think that we'll also find those filmmakers that haven't had an avenue to pursue their art. So I think it's great. I'm not sure that the black magic is is the most amazing camera out there but for three grand hey I, I think it's great yeah for three grand this camera is pretty stellar the the one thing about this and I don't I don't know how 
tech and geeky I want to get here. I, so I'm going to try to keep it a little bit more user friendly. I've actually used the Blackmagic camera a few times and being able to shoot in 2.5K raw uh, gives you a lot of control, but it introduces a whole new problem in workflow and for people that aren't used to necessarily grading footage for color. A lot of people that use DSLRs really try to get the look that they want in camera. And where the Blackmagic camera really shines, in my opinion, is the amount of data that it's able to retain when you're shooting to give you a pretty flat image that then allows you to make some pretty awesome looks in post. So I, I'm excited about the camera. I, I, if I'm being real honest, I think cameras that I get a little more excited about are the new Canon C series of cameras, the C300, the C500, uh, the Red Scarlet, of course. Those have a, a bigger image sensor. You're dealing with some crop uh, problems when you're talking about the black magic camera but overall i mean for three grand it makes some stellar stellar images i, I personally yeah. think part two of the black magic camera is going to be the sweet spot i think they're trying to figure out a lot of things on this first one and but i'm excited about where they are with the second one overall it's only good the more tools that we get in the hands of filmmakers the better and i'm all for the democratization of the industry it's really just a tool. The artist is the one that's going to, you know, ultimately tell the story. But, hey, $3,000 camera that shoots raw, I'm all for it. So I'm, I think it's pretty awesome. So 2.5K raw, color grading issues, crop issues, and this is you not getting technical. I just want to clear that up for everyone. <laughs> um, Keeping it real. Far, Keeping it real. Hey, hey, that's what we're here for. As far as I'm concerned, I agree with everyone else so far that it's... It's a good thing. Tools are good. One thing that we haven't mentioned that I didn't mention in the question is one of the first places I started to see this trend was when I found out that an episode of House was shot on a 5D back a couple years ago. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of one of the interesting angles to me is how they can be used in studio productions to get shots that you just can't get with, you know, the giant even even bigger digital video cameras, let alone film cameras. So overall, I think... It's a good thing, and the more tools, the better. Ta-da! So <laughs> wow. Let's go say I think you have the next question, Chad. Number two. My question, guys, is kind of in the same vein of new technologies revolutionizing or changing delivery methods and, and the way things that certain artists created is Kickstarter. So what I thought we would do today is there are a couple of Kickstarter projects that have that are ongoing right now that have already been funded well beyond their original target goal that are related to production stuff. So I thought we'd talk about those and then also maybe talk about any personal Kickstarter projects that we have personally funded or that we like. So obviously the big ones that are happening right now are the Veronica Mars film Kickstarter as well as the Jeff Kanata show Kickstarter, which I think that we're all as podcasters can look to the TRS model as kind of an inspiration for, for people that were sitting around of like mind talking about great things and getting excited. So I'm interested to hear what you guys think uh, about any of these. Josh, you have any thoughts on those? Well, let me start out by saying I had to look up what Veronica Mars was <laughs> and I don't really have much interest in pretty much any show that was originally on the WB or whatever it is. On the WB. <laughs> <laughs> it, the Kickstarter model is interesting, but as I've been reading a bit more about that specific project, Warner Brothers has put up the money for marketing. They retain the profits. So you pay for the Kickstarter or you back the Kickstarter and you get uh, you know, a T-shirt, a digital copy of the movie. 
and the satisfaction of getting to see something you love on the big screen. So that's great, but it's also a way of a studio minimizing risk. It's also a special circumstance in that the writer had had the script all ready to go. Rob Thomas had things ready to go, had Kristen Bell all lined up and on board. So it's not this necessarily this great green light for, hey, Joss Whedon, make us another Firefly movie now, because that's, of course, what everyone's talking about now. And they went to interview him right away. What do you think about doing another movie? And he's like, well, this is real life. I got other stuff to do. Nathan Fillion's got other stuff to do. So anyways, Kickstarter is, I'm going to say, good. I've never personally funded a Kickstarter, don't have any Kickstarter projects, but it's very it's a very interesting platform to keep an eye on. And I guess that's about my baseline opinion of it. So I think Kickstarter is very interesting because it actually dovetails very well with the topic that we were just talking about, which is the cameras with high quality being able to get in the hands of folks that would not otherwise be able to have access to those types of tools. Kickstarter gives the ability to fund a project to get a community excited about a project and to kind of really be able to get the 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 tools needed in order to actually go out and shoot the film. You might have a camera, but you don't have enough money to, you know, build the set that you need or to find, you know, actual distribution. And so that's what Kickstarter is great for. It is great for a small, just getting started, just kind of wanting to get the word out project. And it's it's a great tool. It really is. It can kind of begin the groundswell and kind of a grassroots movement. And it's just a, it's, it's a great tool for the little guy. The big guy, just like the Veronica Mars even, I mean, Jeff Kanata obviously is is not a big studio production or whatever, but Veronica Mars in particular is interesting because that movie was already kind of gaining traction. They already had all the guys in place and everybody opened their schedules and they were ready to rock and roll. But still, wouldn't that be great if that is the next the next model of being able to see the films or the, the shows that you like is that you just fund them on Kickstarter and you say, hey, do you want the next season of X, whatever it is? Well, if you do, you know, we need you to help get this stuff rolling and here's what you can do. And they start a community and a lot of these cult shows, cult following stuff can actually find traction that way and, and find funding. So I'm excited about it. There might be a lot of uh, a, a lot of new ground that's not yet been been walked on yet. So I'm, I'm all for it. I think it's a good opportunity and it'll be interesting to see where Kickstarter goes over the next couple of years. Yeah, I think Kickstarter is a really, really cool model. I think that the giving of certain things for the different levels of, of contribution is a really cool way to get people more involved in the process than just seeing the end result. We have some filmmakers friends right now that have a Kickstarter project going. It's called Legends of the Night. And I just got to give them a little plug because it's really, really cool. It is a documentary film about the power of the story of Batman to inspire like real life heroes, basically. And like just how storytelling can like create positive change and specifically Batman. And so it's really cool they have they have a Kickstarter project going right now. They actually within 2 days of putting their project on Kickstarter, they had reached their goal which was like $31,000 cuz the movie's pretty much shot it. They just need the money for post and stuff like that. So they've made like 20 grand more than they even needed on Kickstarter. It's still going. It's just really cool. Like it's just a really cool model and I mean they probably have 20 different commitment levels where you get different for 10 bucks you get a digital download of the movie but for like 750 you get like an hour and a half phone call with the director to like 
pick his brain about filmmaking. And it, it's just really, really cool. And I'm really, I'm really proud of them for what they're doing. You know, I hope that one day we could have a project like that because I think it's a really good idea. Yeah, I agree. I think the, the most exciting thing about a company like Kickstarter is that it really does open up new avenues for people like us, for people that can sit around and come up with an idea and then put together a budget for a, a film and say, you know, we need $50,000 to do this. And by allowing the community to be a part of that, then you open up an entirely new world of possibilities. I mean, I think about there's a, a website called nofilmschool.com, which has lots of good production related technical stuff. But the founder of that site has written a script called Manchild. It's a basketball movie. And he started a, a Kickstarter, made over $150,000 financed his project. I personally have backed a project uh, called I Am Big Bird. It's about the guy that I think he's like 80 years old now and he's still playing Big Bird. And it's really fascinating. It's a documentary about his life. You know, I think I, I paid 50 bucks or something like that. I'm going to get an HD download of the film. And they sent us, everybody that was at that level, password to a behind the scenes production blog. So about every couple of weeks or so, they're sending out photos and interviews. And it's it's just really neat. So Josh is very cynical view, which is kind of the studios are trying to minimize risk. And that's certainly true, but it, it really and engenders kind of a sense of participation when you can say, I'm going to walk into a theater and pay 10 bucks and I, I hate the movie or I love the movie, or I pay 30 or 40 bucks and I get the movie and a t-shirt and production blogs and all this other stuff. So I really am excited about it and I like it. And I agree with you, Melody. I hope that one day we can do a Kickstarter of our own. Number three. So let's uh, shift a little away from filmmaking and move into gaming. There is a trend right now in video games called microtransactions. And I'm very interested to find out what you guys think about microtransactions and how that affects your your gaming. So let's start off with Melody. What do you think? Well, you know, I I don't like having to pay for stuff. So um, <laughs> I think they're dumb. You, you, hey, right. Right, right, right. you, you don't like to play, pay for I anything? Like, That's okay. right. <laughs> should all be free. Yeah. Yeah. Melody, are you 17? Are you my brother? You expect everything for free? Uh, no, but uh, the microtransaction thing, uh, once I bought a game, I don't think that I should have to pay more money to play it. However, and I know probably you guys will not agree with me, but like I believe in capitalism. And if that's what's like going to keep the industry funded and going, then and if people are willing to pay, then I don't think it's like the worst thing in the world. I don't want to pay it. I would prefer not to pay it, but I don't think it's really that bad. And I, f I feel like if I want the content or whatever it is in the game that I think that I need, I feel like it's worth spending the money on, then I'll spend it. And if enough people are doing that and they're making money, then there you have it. I, I don't mean to interrupt what we're talking or how the flow of this works, but so let me just give you guys a quick like example. Chris, right? I there, already hear there, the hatred just, and anger there was in just, your voice. I know, right? There was a, quite a bit. So there was just a case settled in the UK, right? There's a game for the iPad and the iPhone called The Simpsons Tapped Out, right? Their son had an iPad. And they gave their son the iPad. Now, there was a free game. The, the, uh, the Simpsons tapped out. is completely free to download. The, you know, you can start playing, do whatever you want. Mm -hmm. He racked up almost $10,000 in... Yeah, in, the uh, first time. Yeah, I know, right? $10,000 in fees from buying donuts in the game. <laughs> 
Donuts okay. are delicious. So, <laughs> right. So, I mean, so uh, what do you think about that? Like when I say that, okay. like, I'm sure you've not heard that story, but what, no. what do you think of that? I, I, think, no. I think that definitely when, when it, there's a kid involved, there should be yeah. some sort of parental control, obviously, over the microtransaction <laughs> no, thing. Yeah. I mean, I have kids and obviously like they get tons of free apps and they want to like buy the real thing or whatever. <laughs> but parental controls would be great. But I don't think the model is all bad personally. Right. But well, I mean. So there okay. are parental controls on the iPad for controlling totally. in-app purchases. And this actually, this story, I haven't heard the one with this particular game, but this yeah. happened a couple years ago with an app called Fish Tank or something, where it's like, you know, pay for food to feed your fish. And the kid did the same thing. And fish have got to live, Josh. And- <laughs> you don't want to find dead digital fish. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay, Chad, how, how do you feel about the whole microtransaction? You well, know, here, here I have kind of a, one overarching philosophy about this whole deal. I, I agree that, and let me, let me be up front, as someone that shamefully has spent, God help me for saying this, more than $100 over the course of probably five or six years, on a game where I'm planting and harvesting fake crops. <laughs> okay. Really? I can't believe hey, I, I'm confessing. You're one of those Now, guys. hold on. Seriously? Dude, I was at You're the, the highest level of We Rule. You just don't understand. You, you and not. I just don't have time. I've got you know, stuff to do. My fake crops have got to grow. I've got houses to build and we, dragon we, towers to construct. Okay? <laughs> now, but let me get to my point. <clears throat> Here's my point. You get there. You get that there. kind of game is built around microtransactions. Okay? If you want to spend hours and hours and weeks and months waiting without having to pay, you can. If you are creating it to play on someone like me that that is impatient, then I can spend the money. What I really don't like, though, is when a game is crafted in its totality and then certain parts of it are walled off that you cannot access until you pay money on top of a fee that you've already paid. So, for example, like if if I bought Halo 4 and a certain gun didn't work or a certain level was not accessible unless I paid five more dollars, that kind of stuff infuriates me. I want to pay 50, 60 bucks, whatever, and get the full experience of the game. I also don't have a problem like if they develop new maps for multiplayers. I'm okay, you know, paying for five or six bucks or ten bucks to get more maps if I'm getting enjoyment out of the game. What I don't like, though, is when they intentionally break a game and then make you pay to access a game, like a racing game where you have to pay to get a new set of tires instead of winning a race to unlock it. I think that's total garbage, and I hate that. I'm pretty much totally with Chad. Downloadable content, DLC, isn't the same thing as a microtransaction. With DLC, you're usually getting something substantial. You're getting a brand new level, a brand new pack of maps in the case of a multiplayer game and microtransactions just you're buying a tank of gas for your car you're buying whatever the heck chad bought for a hundred dollars in this game magic grapes magic grapes grapes. drink it in i understand the designers and the artists have to feed their families and that's fine (laughs) and i will pay you for your game And I've heard this time and time again from people who are fed up with microtransactions. Let me pay. I'll pay you $10, $20 for this little mobile game. Just let me play the thing. Family, family show, family show. (laughs) That's why I I didn't say anything. What's happening? He sounded very angry. So, anyways, cut. (laughs) (laughs) No, we don't have to cut. That's good. That's good. Just keep Keep rolling. It's totally fine. So, I'm, I'm with you. Microtransactions are a terrible bane on the gaming in- industry in my opinion 
and I'm one of those people who has the discipline to say, I don't want to pay this. I'm not going to pay this. As but you are I'm, still playing Call of Duty for too. everyone else in the world who does not have that, microtransactions are going to overtake us, and we're going to be paying $60 for an Xbox game and be paying an extra $5 for a gun because people are going to do it. And that's what I'm worried about, yeah. the dangers of the free market. <laughs> pile on, think- Chris, pile on. There, there's a there's there's this a psychological aspect to this in that someone can download a free game and they think free means completely free I can play it and then when they get inside the game they see all these microtransactions and then they just buy the heck out of them and that doesn't make any sense to me I'm the exact opposite I want to pay a fee up front know what I'm getting and then have the experience and then be done with the game I don't want a game to last for 10 years you know Destiny which is the new Bungie game coming out my big fear with this game is that it's going to be all based on these small little in-app and microtransaction payments because that game's supposed to last for 10 years. Well, they're not going to just be able to survive on 60 bucks with an initial buy-in. It's going to cost a lot more than that at the beginning, or it's going to be a, a monthly fee, which I'm not a huge fan of, or we're going to be paying these, I want that gun, so I'm going to go here and I'm going to either spend six months trying to get it, or I can fast forward the process and buy this little thing. Real Racing 3 drove me up a wall. I just, I really wish that a game developer could say and stick with the idea that for 60 bucks, you pay for this story, you pay for this multiplayer, and then if you want to add on to it, and up front let us know, you know, in three months, they're going to be add-ons, they're going to be in-app purchases, but we guarantee you, you're going to have this experience that's going to be worth this amount of money. Even when you give me a free game and you say, but it's free and you can play, but they cripple the game on purpose so that you cannot progress unless you're spending 99 cents here, 99 cents there. Or 99 hours to do or 99 one small hours. thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. To wait for your car to repair or whatever. It's just, it really is mind numbing and, and just, I, I can't play a game like that. It just, it is not interesting to me uh, at all. And the, the sad thing is, is that this is what is actually working. So people are paying for it. They're, they're, and this is going to be continuing to happen. So this is what apparently the market, like you said, is telling these companies that, hey, this is a good model. This is going to work. It's going to be around for a while. So anyway, I really wish that we could go back to, hey, I pay 15 bucks. I know the experience I'm going to get, and then I can add on to it later. So anyway, we'll see what happens. But that's my little rant. All right. Well, here is a fun question. Well, I think it's fun because we definitely need to have some books on this podcast. Books are, are part of media. Chris, so we'll talk to you after is, this section's over. No, man, I'm good. I'm, I'm ready <laughs> to rock. Later. Oh, I got some good stuff. We'll see. All right. My question is, what are you reading right now or what have you just read? So, Chad? I try to typically rotate like a fiction, then a nonfiction. So what I'm reading right now, actually, I I guess I've got two nonfictions in a row, but I just started a book called John Carter and the Gods of Hollywood. I had not heard anything about this book, and then some friends of mine tweeted, it's available on Amazon for free if you get it right now on a Kindle edition. And it's essentially the documentation of the whole John Carter debacle, how it was greenlit, how it was managed. With Brad Bird at the helm, there were certain certainly high expectations with a well-known property, and it was just a colossal disaster. So I'm reading that. I just finished reading a book called Platform by Michael Hyatt, which is as a video production company owner, 
trying to find ways to uh, differentiate myself. It's about standing out in the crowd. So those are the two books that I'm reading. Just starting John Carter, so I can't really talk about it, but I do highly recommend Platform if anybody is looking to learn more about how social media is impacting marketing today. It's really very, very good. Well, I have, since no one wants to hear about the programming book I'm reading right now, <laughs> oh, I have I a couple books I've well, just finished. Yeah, let's, you... let's, let's dig into that. Let's make that happen. Yes, let's talk about Java. Now, I just finished a book called True Enough, Learning to Live in a Post-Fact Society, uh, written by, he's a regular contributor to Salon and just branched out to do a book. It's about the fracturing of truth, not just opinions, but what we've come to see as true in the society we live in with the proliferation of media and we get to self-select our sources and self-select our experts. That was an interesting book. And I also just finished a book called Phantoms in the Brain, which is written by a neurologist. All sorts of very fascinating information about the brain and some very strange mental disorders that I'm about to diagnose all three of you with. Oh, so, okay. That's what's been on my shelf. I recommend both of them. They've both been interesting. The True Enough was written about, I'm going to say, seven years ago. So it's got kind of some dated information in the sense that it spends time talking about the 2004 election and 9-11 conspiracies and things like that. But still, an interesting look at social psychology. Hmm. Sounds exciting. It does. It yes. was. I, yeah. I'm sorry. I fell asleep. No, it sounds good. No, it sounds good. <laughs> no, just, I'm just joking. No, that's awesome. Good stuff. So we live about 45 minutes away from Clearwater, Florida, which is the spiritual mecca uh, for the Church of Scientology. I have always been utterly fascinated with Scientology because it, it just seems like the craziest uh, thing on the planet. And there go all of our Scientology listeners. Please don't kill us. <laughs> he lives and, in Florida. Go get him there. <laughs> What's wrong with you, Chris? They've got his mind. What's he new? Sorry. Sorry. Oh, man, my, my brain is off. There's a chapter in Dianetics that addresses you. Yeah, I'm like sure they do. <laughs> That's actually funny. I can't. I can't. I don't even know where to go. I I have no idea where to go. Anyway, so I have been reading a book. That's what happens uh, when you read a book, Chris. I know, right? (laughs) (laughs) Shut up. (laughs) It's not that funny. You're just sitting there laughing. Okay, anyway. So I've been reading a book called Beyond Belief uh, by Jenna Miscavige Hill. It's actually uh, written by the niece of the head of Scientology. And it's her experience growing up inside the church. And it's. One of the most horrifying stories I've ever heard just about kind of how Scientology works at the highest levels. And so if you're if you've ever been interested or curious about how the Church of Scientology works, traditions, any of that kind of stuff, this is a fascinating book. It's a pretty good read. It's an easy read. And I would definitely recommend Beyond Belief by Jenna Miscavige Hill if that interests you at all. Well, you guys are all just a very... Um studious and in your choices here. I chose some more fun ones because I I am reading like four nonfiction books right now, but I chose not to talk about those. So my number one reading project right now is actually an editing project. I'm currently editing a novel for a friend of mine and it's awesome. So hopefully you guys will be hearing more about that soon because it's really good. But my actual recommendation that I wanted to talk about is a book called 14. It's a novel by... Peter Kleins. It's a really, really good book. I had it just recommended to me just as just a fun read. It's kind of like Lost meets Stephen King type of 
horror mystery. And it's really, it's a, just a really solid read. It's a good pace, really well-developed characters, keeps you guessing like the whole way. So if you're into that sort of thing, I would definitely recommend 14 as just a good, solid, fun novel. You're listening to The Screeners Podcast. Welcome to the main event. This week, we're going to be talking about two films, Oz the Great and Powerful and the incredible Burt Wonderstone. But first up, we're going to be talking about Oz the Great and Powerful. Step this way! See the most wondrous sights imaginable! Am I dreaming? You're in Oz. Aren't you the great man we've been waiting for? All right, Oz the Great and Powerful, directed by Sam Raimi, starring James Franco, Mila Kunis, Rachel Weisz, and Michelle Williams. Uh, I wanted to go ahead and get everybody's general reaction to the film, and then we'll move into a just general discussion. We're going to have a spoiler-free chat first, and then we'll move into spoilers after we feel like we've uh, we've picked it dry as far as the spoiler-free stuff goes. So, Melody, what did you think of Oz the Great and Powerful? Yeah, this movie... Definitely completely lived up to everything that I was thinking it would be from seeing the trailer, which was something that I did not really care about at all, didn't really enjoy, and felt like if I were watching it with my three-year-old, she would probably enjoy it. But as far as connecting to something that I would be greatly entertained by, not so much. Awesome. Chad, what'd you think, man? I can't believe that the mother of two is the jaded cold heart amongst us. I actually, am watching the trailer, felt the exact same way that Melody did. I thought, I will probably hate this. Oh my gosh. But, but I'm going to see it anyway. Yeah, oh my gosh. I actually kind of liked it. Now, I don't what? I don't love it. Whoa. And I'll be happy to tell all of you evil, cynical, hate-filled people why you're wrong later. But I actually kind of liked it. I thought it was sweet. So Josh, I know you didn't actually see the film, but your Oh, you outed me. Your initial trail the, the, the at least your experience with the trailer. What what did you think about? I mean, were you interested in even like going to see this film at all or or what do you think? Kind of on the fence because I read as a kid, I read the entire series of books, which this is based on none of. It's according to Wikipedia's words, it's a spiritual prequel, which come on. There are plenty of great stories from Oz. Make one of those. And for the love of everything, don't put James Franco in it. Please. (laughs) Well, that's going to be my my number one point is that James Franco (laughs) is looking like he was on drugs the entire time. That's perfect. He's Oz. He Uh, needs to be high the whole time. Come on, guys. No, no. He, he, He needed to be charismatic. He needed to be someone that the, the the people of Oz would at least follow and be somewhat, you know, of a good leader. Like, oh, he knows what he's doing. And none of that came across at all. I mean, it just did not, did not make sense why Mila Kunis thought that he was the wizard from get-go. Why in the world was she out in the middle of nowhere and suddenly saw, oh, hey, you're the wizard. Then all of a sudden everyone knew about the, the, the wizard having already landed and already been there. The visual effects, let me just say, for me – 
was one of the worst visual effects experiences I have ever seen. I saw in Are 3D. You did you, guys, did did you, you just see say 3D? the worst visual effects you have ever seen? One of them, yeah. Especially you, when he you first... You need to see a lot about more. Aragon. When he first... Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> when he, no, I'm talking about for a big studio production. I'm not talking about like for you know somebody who had a low budget. But I'm, this, these guys had... What was the... the I think it was like almost $300 million. 215, for a, I think. Is okay, 215. Okay, so that's, that's, a, that's a huge chunk of change, right? And when he first comes... To Oz, and he's being shown the world by Mila. It is. It looks terrible. It looked literally like green screen. I mean, he did the, the interaction. Oh, the interaction of the people around him. It was supposed to. Oh my goodness. It was terrible. It was oh, absolutely Lord. awful. You know, and it's also one more thing, and then we'll get into a discussion. The the actual plot beats. This is a retelling of the Wizard of Oz, except instead of Dorothy, we've got the wizard. And I mean, up to like, I mean, you check the boxes of, of the stuff that happened in the original Wizard of Oz. You got three traveling companions, check, check, check. You've got, you know, the, the evil witch, check. You've got the, you, how, how things end, the whole Wait a plot minute, so you're saying that it's almost on, as if it's a part of the same story of the Wizard of Oz? Amazing <laughs> yeah, no, how I, that worked. No, I, it would be great if it was a continuation or a prequel to, but it literally is the same movie. I mean, if you've seen the Wizard of Oz, you know exactly what's going to happen. For so me, for my money, it was, it was pretty bad. It was, it was, Utterly disappointing. Now, folks, you got to understand this is coming from somebody who thinks Transformers is a work of art. So you take that for what it's worth. <laughs> I enjoy. No, look, no, look. I enjoy films for pure entertainment value. But I, I really, it was hard for me to find entertainment here. It was very lowbrow. Mila Kunis. What did you guys think of her? I, I felt like she didn't care about what she was doing at all. I, it was not a. You could have had a lot of fun with that character, and she. I don't know. It just seemed like she was out of it. Yeah, I mean, I totally, I, I totally thought that she was um, one of the worst parts of the movie. James Franco definitely being the worst. Uh, there was, there was a part of the movie that I did love actually, and that was the opening credits. I, I don't know if anyone else was like a little <laughs> hypnotized by them. I know I'm, yeah, saying it a little tongue in cheek, but honestly, like I thought they were really beautiful, and I was like, okay, well, this is kind of cool. Like it was a really cool opening credit sequence. And I think that they like hypnotized me into like enjoying the first ten minutes of the movie or so when he's like, you know, in the black and white land or whatever. But seriously, when he gets to Oz and like the butterflies are flying around his face. I mean, I seriously thought I was watching Mary Poppins with the animation. Yeah. Like, come, you guys, come when on. He, when you he leaves, Chris. I love it. When he I leaves, off the hatred. When he leaves <sighs> the totally Emerald City, the he's point. walking. No, no, no. When he leaves the Emerald City and he's walking away with his flying monkey friend, you've got you've got in the background these purple horses, and they literally look like visual effects from guys, 1995. Yes, you look. First of all, respectfully, you're missing the point as far as the those specific kinds of graphics. This is obviously, even though it's set up as a prequel, it's really an homage to the original Wizard of Oz. There are specific things in the film that's supposed to tie directly into Wizard of Oz, including the background. There's obviously backgrounds there where you can absolutely tell that it's literally just a painted on piece of fabric. But it's intentional. It's supposed to look that way. Now, obviously, when he first lands, all the CGI stuff with the flowers and all that, if you didn't like that stuff, then okay. I mean, that's certainly a fair criticism. But the other things that are like the little personal touches where they're actually trying to make it look like a part of the same universe was one of the things that really charmed me about it. So, and, so you're telling me, so you're telling me they, they said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to make, we're going to intentionally make these horses look terrible. No, gonna, we're gonna... what I'm telling you is that the backgrounds and a lot of the stuff that they used, they designed them in the same way that it was done in the Wizard of Oz so that it looks that way. That's absolutely true. Second 
second of all, all the, the a few little things that you said, Chris, that I want to respond to. Number one, I, you're not the first person that I've heard say, "Why did Why did Mila Kunis just appear out of nowhere?" Well, first of all, she says right away, "His balloon just fell out of the sky." And she saw it and she went over there because the prophecy that was well known in all of Oz was that the great wizard would fall out of the sky. I don't understand why people keep missing that point. That she you clearly yourself, said that. Now, I know are, are I'm, I know I'm arguing. Are you hearing your, the, I know I'm arguing. Well, OK, will bring the one that will uh, come on. Right. OK, it's because ridiculous. you don't like any movies that have prophecies being no, fulfilled hey, in no, them, no, do no. you? I, I, I love I love them when they're done well. But this was it, it was so Dude, first of all, you guys, you guys are nothing. so cynical. It's sad. It's very sad. It's oh, very sad. On. I love some of the similarities. I thought they were nice. I loved the interaction between the, especially the China doll. How could you not be charmed by that? It's totally sweet, totally innocent. And, and I disagree with you that James Franco is supposed to be this big, crazy, charismatic thing. His character's journey throughout the whole film is that he's not. It's that he's a charlatan. It's that he's a fraud and that everybody at every turn, especially Glenda, knows that he is. But they choose to believe in him anyway. Yeah, but it's okay, not but that he does anything to earn it. He is that. And, and also, let me finally say this. I agree with you, Melody, that I thought the first 15, 20 minutes that were in black and white, I thought that was really well done and I, I really like that whole that whole sequence I, I agree with you the first 15 minutes actually had me thinking maybe this will be good and the the, the reveal of Oz that looked gorgeous and beautiful but then I, I feel like they had a second unit doing something where they just didn't they 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 screwed up a lot of stuff with with the actual visual effects and especially the interaction yeah. with characters like when he first lands and there are those fairy whatever things and that was supposed to be a funny moment it was awkward <laughs> that was and not weird. good i agree there are a few negative things for me i think they spent way too much time with the witches for sure i yeah. think if the story would have been more focused on the journey with the with china doll and the the sidekick that would have been better but overall it's just a it's just a fun movie. And I'll say this, too. It was also kind of dark. I mean, there were intense moments. There were kind of scary moments that I thought, you know, would play for the, the teenage crowd. And it's making a ton of money. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I went in expecting to hate this. It's just wow. we were charmed by it. We were charmed. Wow. By it. I yeah. did. I, I do have to say I did like Michelle Williams. I did buy her as Glinda. I did like that character. And I thought she was just kind of like having fun in the role and like, I don't know, I, I wouldn't have minded watching her, but the rest of them, I mean, I don't know yeah. what Rachel Weisz was even yeah, doing. Yeah, no, I movie. agree. And and the and Mila Kunis, when she became the witch, and oh, I, I guess we oh. should probably spoiler that, but or maybe not, I don't know. Her face looked like it was so smooth, it didn't even look like a real face. That was terrible. Now, but I, I, mean, I also come mention on. one, one other thing quickly, because you said this is an homage to the film. In actual reality, they didn't have rights to use any, to, to use specific pieces that were made for the film. I and I just that. want to let the I wanted to let the, the audience know this because maybe some people didn't realize this. And I, I went to the movie fresh. I didn't read any reviews or take a look at whatever other people were saying. But then when I realized this, they kind of made a lot of sense that this is actually canon when it comes to the books, the L. Frank Baum's books, not to the the actual the movie that most of us are familiar with because they couldn't use the ruby slippers. They couldn't right. use any of the like the yellow brick road that had the spiral on it. You know, that the actual iconic look of right. the yellow brick road, as well as several other things. Like, I guess I think the, the actual type of monkey that it was used. So that's why they had to like go to with like a more gorilla, not gorilla, but it was like a, a orangutan. I don't know what kind of monkey it was. They had to change the look of that and all kinds of stuff. And so I, I, that's when I felt like this movie was very detached 
from what we all know as know. being I, I the, could not the Wizard of Oz. I felt it was completely tried, in lockstep. You've had your turn. Shut up. You shut up. <laughs> you hate the Wizard of Oz. You are a dark, evil I, soul. No, I love the Wizard of Oz, and you know, and they couldn't, they couldn't have music. They couldn't really have the the singing music in it either. That's Dude, why he had to interrupt James them. James Franco shut down Munchkins about to sing. That because was greatness. They, they couldn't say Munchkin Land. It was None greatness. of that stuff. Oh anyway, it, it, there there was just a lot of pieces missing. It felt like a. Anyway, it was mediocre, I guess is what I would I would describe the film. Also, James Franco's face when he smiles is freaky. It looks is like scary. he's going to split apart into a million pieces. <laughs> that guy needs to just not make any more movies. Okay, so should we move into summarize. spoilers? I'm going to summarize the last 20 minutes for everyone out there who just fell asleep. Uh, <laughs> Chad loved Quentin Tarantino's Death Proof, and anything he can put the word homage on top of, he's just... <laughs> He's head over heels for it. Right. And Chris is just waiting for Pain and Gain to come out this summer. I am. So we're just going to. I'm actually, I'm very excited about Pain and Gain. But let's move into spoilers <laughs> for Oz the Great and Powerful. People, you killed him. No, I am your f- Whoa, spoilers. So let me say, now that we're in the, the, the spoiler section, let me just say that the third act for me was actually the best part of the film i actually really did enjoy what was going on there i felt like oh hey you know the payoff is gonna actually you know be pretty cool we can actually see his charismatic his his ingenuity come come into to full fruition and he use all this stuff and make something pretty darn cool and and then we get oh hey that's how he becomes the <clears throat> the misted figure uh that we know from the movies or whatever and so i i did enjoy that bit of it but still the the wicked witch of the west her makeup they couldn't use the actual green that they used they had to choose a completely different pigment of green and it just it looked terrible it was just it it was not it was not good it did, did not re- resonate with me at all i do agree that the third act was was exhilarating it was exciting but i'd already bought in at that point yeah. i could have used maybe the the witch fight after the whole thing happens, I yeah. hated that. Now, I totally hated that because yeah. to me, it felt like the movie ended and it was triumphant and everybody's happy. And then it goes to that kind of second Harry beat, Potter. almost an epilogue kind of thing where they're, yeah, like almost a Harry Potterish kind of duel. And I thought it could have could have done without that altogether. I mean, I thought it was kind of cute that the wizard, you know, gave everyone their little gifts or whatever. But I just felt like it could have been so much more clever. And it just it was just like I didn't care. I didn't care about it because I didn't care about any of those characters characters at all. So you don't care about the story. I I feel like you guys didn't care about China Doll. Except for China Doll. okay. you didn't care about the little monkey a little bit. I hated the monkey. But by the end, like I kind of he was pretty funny. But I'm sorry, but he the, none of those characters resonate nearly as well as they do in the first film, right? Do you care about them as much well, as the lion, the, the scarecrow, like, or the tin man? Here's the thing. You like the monkey, you like the china doll, but you don't like any of the live people because yeah. the acting is terrible and the dialogue is terrible. And That's so, true. you know, it's just... Dialogue I'm, was pretty rough. I agree with that. I agree yeah. with that. It's a kid's movie. It's a kid's movie. I'll give it a pass because of... Well, not a no, pass, don't give it a pass. If you don't I'll like it, own it. Own your hatred. Own your I, hatred. I, I, it I, I feeds me. I don't mean to give it a, a pass. What I mean to say is, is it's a kid's movie, and if you go into it expecting a kid's movie, you might have an enjoyable time, but it is nothing more than that. Boom. And that if you is. have no soul, you'll fit it right in with the yep. ferals. All right. That's right. Let's move on. <laughs> We're going to move into our second review on this episode, and that is the incredible Burt Wonderstone. Welcome to the amazing world of magic. Everyone loves a magician, and they'll love you too. 
Stone. And I'm Anton Marvelson. But of course, you already knew that. Steve Gregg, they're calling him the future of magic. This guy's a magician. He doesn't even have a costume. What you do is not magic. It's natural for a dying leaf to be frightened by the autumn wind. Your skin makes me cry. All right, the incredible Burt Wonderstone is directed by Don Scardino. Scardino? I don't know how to pronounce that. Scardino? I guess that's uh, how it is. Starring Steve Carell, Steve Buscemi, Olivia Wilde, Jim Carrey, James Gandolfini, and Alan Arkin. That is an awesome cast. Surely this movie rocked. Chad, what did you think of the incredible Burt Wonderstone? Missed opportunity. (laughs) (laughs) You probably loved this piece of crap. And you hated Oz. But let me tell you what. There are moments of this, Burt Wonderstone, and we're just giving our kind of quick general overviews, that are absolutely hysterical, but there's not enough of them. I think the concept of this, this dueling magician, old school versus kind of the new school, which this is obviously kind of in the Chris Angel mold with Jim Carrey's character, I think is ripe for hilarity but it just doesn't it didn't never materialize enough for me although i think jim carrey steals the show whenever he is on screen he is hilarious and i haven't seen him be hilarious in a long time so i really enjoyed his role but overall you know i just didn't laugh enough all right josh what'd you think i think i'm gonna come up with uh, something that's almost a job and almost a sport and i'm gonna write a script it's not gonna take me any more in a week because that's that can't be as long as it or that can't be any shorter than it took them to write this movie. Actually, you know what? I'm just going to have a computer write it for me. I'm going to feed it a bunch of old, crappy Will Ferrell movies, and it's going to spit back out a script, and I'm going to take it to the studio, and they're going to print it. Because that's exactly what they did with this. I was actually looking forward to it. I thought it could be funny, and I totally agree with Chad. The Magician's thing is ripe. David Blaine and Chris Angel deserve anything they can get in the way of mockery, but... This just fell completely flat. It had maybe two moments where I laughed, and one of those was the trailer for Hangover 3, which I'm ashamed to say. Um, but so Josh, you could have seen Oz, I'm just telling you. I could yeah. have seen Oz, and now I kind of wish I had, because, man, I, I'm beginning to think I like Steve Carell, and I'm beginning to think I don't like the character Steve Carell, because he's just not funny i hate to say it he was funny in the office and after that his big laugh lines in the movie are him making noises that aren't words and that's all he's got so anyways that's uh my general overview well you know what i'm gonna have to say that i really really hated this film every (laughs) my faith in humanity has been restored i i mean literally i i was disappointed with this movie Here's the thing. The tone in this movie is all over the place. It doesn't know what kind of movie it wants to be. Is it an exactly. Adam Sandler film? Uh, is it a? Is it trying to actually make a little bit of a commentary? Is it a romantic comedy? Is it a – what is it? I mean and it literally takes these left turns out of nowhere. I guess we have to get into spoilers to talk a little bit about you know, you know, how this movie ends. But it is the most ridiculous – stupid thing I have ever seen in a movie. And I guess actually the the last, the, the credit sequence, quote unquote, on how they like pulled off the last thing is probably the funniest part of the film. But it's still ridiculous in that, you know, no. they try and, they try and, they, they, they try and ground it and then they try and do all these crazy things. It could never, I just, I, just, I didn't understand what this movie was going for at all. Jim Carrey, he may be the best part of this film, but he's only in it for maybe 15 minutes. 
he is definitely crunching, you know, the scenery around him as he's he in, and everybody. And, and it's it's. But at the same time, I didn't feel like it was. I feel like everybody was. If, if everybody was acting on his level, the movie would be funny. But I just felt like he was so out of place. He was literally like standing above everybody else, and I was just like, this is kind of. I don't know. I don't. I don't. I'm not laughing at all. It just feels weird. So that's what I felt. What do you guys? What, what do we think? I mean, anything else we want to add to this at all? I don't even know where to go. I'm so disappointed because I, I didn't get to see it, but I, I was really looking forward to seeing it. I mean, with this cast, I, I love anything Steve Carell usually. So I'm just disappointed that you all agree that it wasn't good. Go back and rewatch Talladega Nights or Blades of Steel or something. You get the same movie and it's funnier. At the same yeah. at the same time, I do think that the concept is at, with those actors is actually pretty good. It sure. feels like that there there's a good movie to be made here. This just wasn't it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, no, that, I, that's I, why I was interested to see it. I totally agree with you, and and, and I they think failed. Th- there there are certain pieces, but I mean, like, you know, like there's a sequence when let's talk about is it spoilers? Yeah, let, let, let's go to let's, spoilers. let's go ahead and go to spoilers. Just say this big thumbs down for me. Everybody else in agreement. Huge. Don't waste your time. All right. Don't waste your time. Go see Oz. Here we go. Spoilers. Whoa. Spoilers. OK, guys. So the sequence when the. I can't even remember his name. Anton leaves Bert mm-hmm. and they show him out in the I don't know what it was. The third Herodia. world. Yeah, that was the most ridiculous. OK, not funny. Wait a just, minute. Hold ugh. on. There's one joke in there that is funny when that kid tries to eat that kid. <laughs> yes, that's that was funny. funny. That, that was that's awful. <laughs> it's totally awful. That's terrible. <laughs> terrible. And hilarious. I, I thought taking away the rabbit with the knife was better than that. But. Yeah, I, it just it just wasn't. It, but again, like the all the, the surrounding peripheral stuff may have been funny, but Steve Buscemi wasn't funny in that that no. sequence. None of the actors are funny. You know what I mean? Like they, they got placed in these things and, and none of it was the sequence where he was Steve Carell was performing by him stay by himself on stage. That just I don't know. I was I thought yeah, it was ridiculous. It was rough. And the big you know the one of the bigger issues that I have is that Steve Carell and I'm not quite as negative on him post the office as Josh may be. He's almost impossible not to like on screen. Right. But this character was so kind of deplorable and uninteresting. Yeah. He just, I mean, this is a Vegas mus- uh, magician, excuse me, that's got all these years under his belt. There ought to be just hours of hilarity in there, but there's yeah. it was just uninteresting, and you didn't really care about his character, which is why I mean, there's one scene in particular where they're all in the magician's bar, and Jim Carrey comes into the bar, and uh, Steve Carell is there, and all the other kind of local magicians are there, and they have a little mini confrontation. That's the best, in my opinion, the best scene in the movie. It was it actually felt like there was something going on. I mean, he reaches out and touches him, and says, "Your skin makes me cry." I mean, that stuff is hilarious. <laughs> But it's like the only part of the movie that had any life. Everything else is just really, really tepid and and uninteresting. Just so what was up? What was up with his accent? Did he have one? Was that just a stage thing? Because there's a sequence in the film when they're walking. He's walking with Olivia Wilde, and they're outside talking, and he's finally opening up to her, and uh, and and the accent goes away. It's so it's so weird. And like the director, I, I could not tell if he was playing. It was, it I don't was know. his it was his affectation. 
stage. That was his. It was his arrogant voice. Yeah, his stage voice. Oh yeah. my gosh, it's like the. It's There's so a lot more. And then things it just to fell notice. away, <laughs> and his immaturity fell no, away. No, no, immediately. But that, no, no, like no. That. that scene, I think, completely exemplifies for me what I hated about this movie is that it didn't know what it wanted to be, and at that moment, they took the left turn to say, "Hey, by the way, this is going to be a romantic comedy." And I'm like, "Are you? Are you serious, Olivia Wilde and Steve Carell? I'm not buying this at all. It just, I, yeah. ugh." It was rough. It was rough. Algorithms, dude. This is all training oh my data. Gosh. Next one will be better. But okay, so what did we think about this the final solution? To make, what do we <laughs> well, think first about of all, that? if I was a patron in that in the crowd and then they woke me up after taking me out there and bringing me back and it was like two hours later, I'm gonna be aggravated. Yeah. <laughs> it's eleven thirty. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean it's, it, it, we obviously that's not a magic trick. Everybody would, the moment that, you know, I, oh, you're waking, you look over, you see somebody else waking up, you realize the moment you've been drugged. You Are know you guys what I mean? serious? You're, you're critiquing <laughs> you're the reality logic. of this magic trick? <laughs> well, I'm just saying. <laughs> what it, are we doing? That bothered me. It just bothered me so much. That, no, let's just, that let's bothered just you? About, <laughs> all let's of it bothered talk me. about how the explanation for the trick was the funniest part of the entire movie, because it was. What? Oh, 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 you mean you the, said the it final early. sequence? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Dragging the, everybody the final out. scene in the movie <laughs> is the funniest it part. It is. And no, so no, if you can sneak into the theater at the end, just do that. It was freaking hilarious. They're just a little like, UPS joke. The part where Jim Carrey's character lays down on the coals and screams as he falls asleep. That's pretty that was, funny. Yeah, that was fairly that's, funny. That's pretty funny. But but that's the whole thing is that every every moment that I have that I think of that was actually humorous it yeah. revolves around Jim Carrey. And then I can't think of and I can only think of like three of them. And then I'm done. This is a completely disposable experience. This yeah. movie is ought to be ashamed of itself because it yeah. could have been really funny. But it's it was terrible. I agree. The Cutting Room Floor. Here we are at the Cutting Room Floor. This week we thought we would pay a little respect to one of our favorite podcasts, The Totally Rad Show. In honor of Jeff Kanata and his new show that is beginning, we were talking about different things that we could do to, for The Cutting Room Floor. And so we decided we wanted to build the Screeners Podcast, Flick Chart, Best Movies of All Time, and our list of shame of movies that we have not seen up to this point. So what we're going to do is, since there are four of us, any film in which three of us have seen the movie is able to be voted upon. If it's a movie that only two of us have seen, we'll throw it out and put it on our list of shame. So guys, we ready to go here? A little battle royale between our movies. The Let's first, The first pairing is Lord of the Rings, Return of the King versus Troy. Melody? Definitely Return of the King. Chris? Yeah, Return of the King. Uh, yeah. Okay. And that's a clean sweep. <laughs> wow. That's a clean sweep. Here we go. Next one. Toy Story 2 versus the original Back to the Future. Oh. Melody. Back to the, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Back to the Future. Ooh, that was quick. Chris? Back to the Future, no doubt. That's so tough. I'm on the fence. I'll go with peer pressure, Back to the Future. All right, Back Ooh, to the nice. Future it is. Toy Story makes me now, cry. Chad, you're not saying anything. You, you gotta, you've got to make a choice. Well, you, you guys made it for me, say. so I can... <clears throat> Toy Story. No, no, you can't. No, Toy you can't. Story 2 is actually pretty great. I'd have to go with Back to the Future for sure, okay, though. Sweet. Next is the original Hulk, Ang Lee's 2003, versus Bubble Boy. <laughs> Let me guess. Nobody say what? Bubble Boy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, moving on, uh, it's the original Hulk versus Up in the Air, uh, the Jason Reitman Clooney yeah, yeah, yeah. movie. Yeah. Yeah, I'd have to go with Up in the Air. Yeah, me too. Up in the Air. Josh, <laughs> that's that's three for me too. 
Okay. Up in the air it is for me as well. Okay, good. All right. Sweet. Now let's move on to the Mighty Ducks. Were you guys Ooh. young oh, yeah. enough to remember yeah, the Mighty alive. Ducks? Heck right. yeah. Did oh. I see it or did I just see three? I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> three. Oh, I saw right. one of them. So here we go. This wow. is an interesting one. The Mighty Ducks, the original 1992 versus Jurassic Park 3. Oh. Melody. Oh, um, Mighty Ducks. Heck yeah, Mighty Ducks. I'm still not sure I've seen the first one, but I still think just about anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Absolutely. It's got to be better. It's the yeah. Mighty Ducks for me as well. Amen. Okay. All right, guys, here we go. The Shawshank Redemption oh. versus Dogma, Kevin Smith's Dogma. Have you guys seen that? Mm-hmm. You kidding me? I have, yeah. Okay. Uh, gonna go with Shawshank Redemption. Yeah, come no on. doubt. Come Shawshank. On. How are those? How are those even in the yeah, same? Yeah, I mean, do we right? even have yeah. to talk about Shawshank. this? Okay. <laughs> Next, Star Wars Episode Three: Revenge of the Sith versus Pan's Labyrinth. Melody. Uh, <laughs> Pan's Labyrinth. Oh, this is no discussion. This uh, is yeah, easy. No this is so awful. easy. Chris, <laughs> go ahead. Pan's, Embarrass yourself, Pan's... Chris. Embarrass yourself. Do it. <laughs> oh, yeah, one of my very favorite films. No, I'm just kidding. Pan's Labyrinth all the way. All right. Yes, Pan's Labyrinth. Pan's Labyrinth is a masterpiece. I love that movie. All right, here we go. I still sing that song. Yeah. The next is Kick Ass versus Being John Malkovich. Melody. I have not seen Being John Malkovich. Neither have I. Oh, Oh, you what? Shame. Yes, you need to you need to see this movie. You need to see this movie. Okay. So that leaves us with uh, Kick Ass versus American History X. Oh, did I mention that I haven't seen Kick Ass? (laughs) Wow. <laughs> I have. Have you guys seen Ameri- it? American yes. history. We have seen that. We have not. I have not seen American history. I have. I haven't either. Oh, okay. you, that's Seriously. another one. You really need to see that. That's yeah. a. That's a good Got movie. It. All right. How about Kick Ass versus Crash, the 2004 Oscar winner for Kick Best Ass. Picture? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Josh votes for Kick. Josh votes anything. Josh has like an active like, hatred of the movie like, Crash. I really do. <laughs> okay, so we have one vote for Crash. Melody, Kick Ass or Crash? I'm voting Crash. Okay, what? Chris. Wow, kick ass all the way. Really? <sighs> See, I'm kind of conflicted here because. Wait, are you saying? Wait, wait. Josh voted for Crash? No, oh, he I voted for kick ass. ass. Oh, I thought you said I'm Crash. Just, okay. I'm disqualified because I haven't actually seen it. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> well, in that case, I think I'm probably gonna have to get. Oh, how do I make this decision? Seriously, I didn't. I didn't. I really didn't like Kick Ass as much as most people. Oh, I, I just. Right. I mean, I kind of. It was okay. All right. I'm probably gonna have to go with Crash. Wow. I'm gonna have to go with Crash on this one. All right. Sorry, All guys. Right. All right. Let's do a few more here. We've got A Bug's Life versus The Day After Tomorrow, which I'm sure Chris, you'll vote for right away. Uh, things exploding. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm voting Bugs Life. I'm voting Bugs Life. Oh. I have not seen Day After Tomorrow, but okay. Bugs Life was pretty good. I have seen Bugs Life, and it's definitely a Bugs Life. Early Pixar, but still very good. All right, here we go. The Patriot, the Mel Gibson movie from 2000, versus Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. Uh, the Patriot. The Patriot. Episode on the Phantom Menace. No, hey, you go before me. I keep hogging the floor. That's fine. No, I, I would go with the Patriot as well. Yeah, I haven't seen the Patriot because Mel Gibson's in it. I vote the other one. <laughs> oh come on! Oh, it's a great movie. It's wow. Ridiculous. Adam Sandler's Big Daddy. Have you guys seen that? Yes. Yeah. What is it again? Big Daddy. Oh, yes. he's got the little kid. And versus Home Alone, the original Home Alone from 1990. Were you guys alive in 1990? Shut up. 
Zip it. Uh, I'm voting Home Alone. Definitely Home Alone. Yeah. Yeah, Home Alone. Yeah, I'd have to go Home Alone or I would get kicked out of my house. My wife is a Home Alone fanatic and makes us watch all three of them every Christmas. Oh, yeah, I said it. It happens. The third? It's a sad time. It's a sad time in our house. Okay. All right. All right. We've got Walk the Line from 2005, Academy Award winning, and The Terminator, 1984, the original. Come on. Let's make the right decision here. Melody? The walk the line is that is the Johnny Cash. Johnny Cash, Johnny Cash yeah. 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 Not Phoenix. to be confused. Not to be confused with walking hard. <laughs> yeah. The Dewey Cox story. Boy, another disappointing comedy, but indeed. Uh I will vote Terminator. Yeah, I'm gonna go with Terminator. Josh. <clears throat> Haven't seen Terminator. What? What? Are you that serious? Is oh. That is awful. <clears throat> Something in my throat, sorry. Oh, wow. <laughs> Shame. That is Look, you haven't seen American History X or whatever the other great movie was, being John Malkovich. So that's not the Terminator. Uh, I'm sorry, it's not. All right, Terminator, it is. Let's do three more, and then we'll be done. Gone in sixty seconds versus Batman Forever, nineteen ninety-five. Melody, Gone in sixty seconds. This is just levels of terrible here. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I have to say, I don't have a. I don't have a Gone in 60 Seconds poster hanging in my office. However, I do have a Batman Forever poster hanging in my bedroom. Are you serious? Uh, so I'm going to go with Batman Forever. I am. I, oh, Batman here. Forever? Yeah. I've actually got the, the reason why I've. Well, let me just be honest. I was like in middle school when that movie came out, and I was obsessed with it. I watched the trailer at least. 300 times I was so excited for that movie yeah, uh, and so what you're saying is you never matured and grew out of that probably not but anyway oh, so I, I, I actually had a poster is left over from then I had a yeah, I had a friend at the time who actually worked at a movie theater and actually gave me a real movie poster from the theater so that's why I still have it it's the teaser one with the question mark and the uh the bat logo. I love it. The I more think you it, talk, the more I can't hear what you're saying. It looks great. It's a great looking trailer. Yeah, I mean, a Josh. Great poster. Come on. I'll go with Batman. Yeah, I haven't seen Batman forever either. Oh. <laughs> well, I have, and so it's gone in 60 seconds. Yeah. No question. Yeah. All right, two more here. Uh, we've got Lara Croft Tomb Raider from 2001 versus Austin Powers, The Spy Who Shagged Me. He's a great, great. Uh, Tomb Raider for me. Tomb oh. Raider. Tomb Raider. Really? It pains me to say one of them is better in some way. <laughs> Tomb Raider. Oh, come on, guys. Tomb Raider is terrible. Yeah. That it is, is terrible. Angelina is side boob, it's dude. Not any, <laughs> Austin Powers was actually pretty great. It was a huge smash hit. It was funny. I never liked it. It was a huge it. smash oh, hit because people are idiots. No. T- Tomb Raider. Well, oh. the sequels got worse. You but. guys are com- outvoted. You're completely Out. wrong on this. I hate to even put this in our mm. I have Click no it. choice. Click it. Ridiculous. All right, last one for the night. We have the original Total Recall, not the god-awful remake. The original Total Recall 1990 Schwarzenegger versus the Royal Tenenbaums. Oh, oh Total Recall. Total Recall. Are you guys kidding me? <laughs> I hate that stupid Royal movie. Tenenbaums oh, is one of the worst films I have ever seen. I have an active it, hate it, it is terrible. We're losing all credibility. It doesn't matter. <laughs> right now, it's it going matter. right out the window. Oh, it doesn't matter. Come on. Why, why, why do you have to have credibility to like the total? The, I mean, sorry, Royal Tenenbaums. Seriously. That movie, ugh, ugh. Okay. Terrible, Josh. I'm that assuming you vote for Royal Tannenbaum. I didn't understand. <laughs> I didn't see the original Total Recall. Okay, so if I vote for Royal Tannenbaums, we have a tie. Yeah, no, we don't. Uh, no, we don't. Josh can't vote. Josh can't <laughs> vote. We win. Why can't he vote? 
because yeah. he hasn't seen, seen Total, Total Recall. Recall. We uh, win. Sorry. <laughs> Click it. Oh, uh, <laughs> the answer is by default Total Recall yes. 1990. Yes. All right, guys. No one so check out our flick chart ever. Yeah, this is uh, go over to flickchart.com and look for screeners podcast and uh, check out our list. Hopefully, you're still listening at this point. <laughs> The Cutting Room Floor. All right, guys. Well, that's our episode for this week. Thanks so much for listening. Please remember to visit our website, screenerspodcast.com. Make sure that you click the subscribe link at the top so you can subscribe to the podcast. And definitely, we are looking for ideas, feedback, questions. So whether you want to post on our Facebook page or post on our website or email us at screenerscast at gmail.com. We would love to get your feedback and any ideas for the show that you may have. And we will look forward to episode number four coming up in the next couple weeks. And that's a wrap. You've heard what the screeners had to say. Now you be the critic. Head over to screenerspodcast.com and let us know what you think. See you next time.